Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome this morning to Faith. Hey, good to have everybody here today. Thank you so much for coming and being with us this morning. Take your Bibles out and turn to Revelation chapter 3. This is the last in our series on Rise Above. We are talking about how the church is called to rise above culture. We're not to look like culture, be like culture, but be above and rise above. And, and so we're going from the churches that Paul, uh, John writes to in Revelation, the seven churches of Asia, and every one of those is a challenge at the end to him who overcomes, to him who rises above, will be given this, this, and this, and this. And so, so we've been encouraged and learning from these messages. Some of the messages have been harder than others, I will tell you, because some of those churches didn't have it all together. They had some real serious problems going on, and John addresses those, and the Lord brings the message to them. So today we're looking at a church called Laodicea. By the way, the series is finished, so if you want that, you can pick that on your way up out the door. Uh, BJ, come on up here. BJ Foss is coming up right now. I need to get a selfie with you, if you would, just real quick for a moment. Uh, doesn't he look good today? Uh, I... I uh, I pick on the big strong guys. This guy has a fitness center. You can probably see that by looking at him right now. And so he's the picture of fitness. I'm the picture of what fitness does not look like. So this is kind of the, the fitness picture. Let's get the church behind us so they can all see us right there. And it's selfie time right here. And bam, we did it. All right, give BJ a hand. He did awesome up here. Uh, you say, why, why do this? Well, we're gonna look at a selfie church today. It's the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was all about themselves, all about looking good, all about appearances. And, and, and so just really, if you had a, a definition of a selfie church, it would be Laodicea. There's a word that we use now in a vocabulary called narcissism. How many have ever heard that word narcissism? It just literally simply means a love of self. Now, you may not know where the word got its origin from. It is actually taken from Greek mythology. Many of our words come from the Greek culture, and so it comes from Greek mythology, and a, and a, and a, a so-called god, one of their gods, came down from heaven, and he saw his reflection for the very first time in water. And he was so enamored by his own reflection and by what he looked like that he couldn't stop looking at the reflection until finally he stayed there long enough, he turned into a flower, uh, uh, a narcissus. And uh, it was a yellow flower. And we see those flowers today. And now we have our word narcissism. And, and narcissism, let me give you the, the definition of it. A tendency to think very highly of yourself with little or no regard for others. So it's not just about yourself, it's about not loving others. It's about loving yourself more than anybody else. It can, uh, selfish is a synonym, vain or a glutton for attention. Uh, I'm not gonna ask you if you're a show of hands how many are gluttons for attention in here. Uh, don't wanna put you on the spot. And so that's what narcissism is. And so we are looking at a very narcissistic church in Laodicea. And you'll see that as we move our way through the text this morning. Now, here's, there's a little tension, a little challenge going on right away in our minds that says, you know what, on, on the one hand, there should be a, we should have healthy self-images. 
We should feel good about who we are and who we are in Christ Jesus. And, and so there is a certain, in fact, the word of God acknowledges this. It says, uh, love your neighbor as your self. And, and so the, the, the dilemma here is if you don't love yourself to some extent, if you don't feel good about who you are in Christ, you're going to have a challenge loving other people. People who, who uh, are abusive, people who don't like others, usually have a very negative self-image. And so we have that side of it on the one hand, but then there is also a prideful self-love that God hates. That, that we are not to have, we're not to be possessed with. That, the Bible says, has to be crucified. Let me read a verse. Uh, it says, whosoever would be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross. By the way, that just simply means die. He must die and follow me. The cross was never intended to be a burden we bear in that scripture. The cross was always an implement of death. And so whoever would follow me must deny himself and die to self and follow me and come after me. And so we're going to look at a church today of Laodicea that were totally consumed with themselves. It was all about what they were doing, what was going on, their own thing. They were very, very self-consumed, and they were not consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a major difference. Now, we've looked at seven churches. Five of them have serious problems. The first was Ephesus, and Ephesus was a church that had lost its first love. And the second one was a church called Pergamos, and, and they had followed the doctrines of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, and so they were all about compromise. They wanted to compromise with the world around them, and we looked at the dangers of compromise in our own lives. And then we looked at the church at Thyatira, and they tolerated Jezebel, and the key word there was toleration. They, they allowed her teachings to go on, they allowed her teachings to remain, and many people in the church were being led astray because of this woman Jezebel and then we looked at a church called Sardis that was just simply a spiritually dead church. There was no life giving element in the church because they were out of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and so uh, we looked at that lifeless church in Sardis and now we're looking at a church at Laodicea and if you would think about a word for them, narcissism might apply but they were very nauseating to Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? You guys just make me sick, right? And because of their self-sufficiency. And the key phrase in this whole passage is simply, I need nothing. Got everything I need. I need nothing. So let's stand. Let's look at the church together and read the scripture. And then we'll begin to work our way through the passage this morning. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am about to spew you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me, gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now notice this, this strong rebuke that comes to this church is all because of the love of Jesus. Don't look at this as because he hates us. 
So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, to him who rises above, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne just as I overcame and sat down on my, with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, today we come to you. We pray that you will open up our ears, open up our spiritual understanding this morning, that we can hear the word that the Spirit of God has for each and every one of us today. We love you, God. We thank you for your sweet presence. We thank you for your amazing love. We thank you. Love us so much to, to just teach us through your word. And so help us today, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, don't turn to anyone and say you look amazing this morning. That would kind of conflict with what I'm preaching on. <laughs> just say you look so-so, and then you may be seated. Laodicea literally means the voice of the people. And uh, when you get to verse number 17 of this passage, it says, you say, you say, you say. And so the Laodiceans had a lot to say about themselves, but they really weren't interested in what the opinion of God might have been at that time. And let me tell you just a little bit about this city. It was a city of the hustle and bustle of economic activity. It was a very prosperous city. There was a lot of activity going on. There was a banking industry there. There was uh, medical clinics there. there. It was a very affluent, self-made area. In fact, their affluence and self-made self-sufficiency was so outstanding that in AD 60, historically, a earthquake came and demolished just several towns in that whole area. And so the Roman government was called to rebuild those cities. But Laodicea was so self-sufficient, they told the Roman government, just stay where you're at. We have enough money, enough worker, enough resources. We can rebuild our own city. And so they denied the help from the Roman government and literally rebuilt the city themselves. A rich commercial center and also known for its clothing industry. And they made this amazing black wool cloth that they wore in that day and age. And so if you looked at this church, you looked at this city, Primarily, it was a model of self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction. They were very, very wealthy, very prosperous, and had every single thing they need. Now, what had happened, though, is the church starts to look like the city around them. And so Jesus has a very strong word to say to this city. And he starts out, and every time he opens one of the letters to one of these churches, he starts out with who he is, because it really is all about Jesus Christ. And so he says, I am the one who is amen, I am faithful and true, I am the ruler of all creation, that's who I am, and that's the word that Laodicea needed to hear about Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, I am the Amen. How many have heard that word before? If you've been in church at all, you've heard amen. You could say it a few more times in here. I wouldn't be offended. I, it wouldn't bother me. It might even help me preach a little bit better. Let, let, let's hear it. Amen. amen. Uh, that's, that's good. I'd never really give you anything to say amen about necessarily, but, but uh, sometimes I do. And when I do, just go, it's okay. It literally means so be it. So be it, or, or it is true. It is an affirmation that if something is right or something is true, and it's very common language you would hear in the church today. Now, now in our vernacular, we might say, right on, okay? 
So I'm gonna make a profound statement and then you can all chime in right on. Since Jesus is the amen, listen to this. There is nothing that can be added or taken away from him. He is the final and absolute authority. That's who Jesus Christ is. I got some amens and right-ons. You guys are so confused now, you don't know what to say. Fortunately, this is not a test. Uh, And then Jesus says, I am the truth. And he's identified himself that way uh, with some of the other churches he wrote to. I am the truth. And for this church, he kind of looks beyond their facade. You have an idea of the Laodiceans. On the outside, they looked great and they looked good and they had everything they need and they were very self-sufficiency. But, but once again, the truth looks right to where they're at and he sees what is going on on the inside. And he will address that later in this letter. I am the truth. And then he uses a phrase, I am the ruler of God's creation. Interesting phrase right here. Jesus Christ is identifying himself not only as the one who made all of creation, which the word of God teaches us, but he is the one who still rules over creation. Isn't that good news today? He didn't just create the world, spin it in motion, send it around the sun, and so, okay, now you're on your own. I'm done with you, I'm over, it's done, I made you, I created you, I made made Adam and Eve, and now all the people came from that, and gave you animals and everything you need, and now you're strictly on your own. No, he says, I am still the ruler over all creation. I am still sovereign over every bit of my creation. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. Now, by the way, Paul, uh, Paul writes this letter to Colossae. But Colossae is very near Laodicea. And so this was a circular letter. Would Paul write a letter? It would start in Colossae, and then it would go and be read to the church at Laodicea, and it would move around. And so it's obvious this, they probably had read Paul's writings, but listen to him how Jesus describes himself. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now that doesn't mean Jesus was created. It just means he has preeminence over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven, things on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. Everything that was made was for God's good pleasure. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Not only does he make the universe, he holds it together. Wow, that's who God is. Mm -hmm holds it together, and he is the head of the body, the church. So we have the ruler of all creation, the creator of everything, the one who holds everything together, he's our head. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that everything in him, so that in everything, he might have supremacy. So he is ruler, he is Lord over all creation. He is very active in his creation and he is alive and well today. And aren't you glad that's the Jesus Christ we serve today? Right on. So what are the lessons here? What are the words of him who is faithful and true and the ruler? What were the words to Laodicea? And, uh, and for us here today, more importantly, what are the words that we need to take in and understand and grow in today? First of all, I, I think we need, there's a challenge to rekindle a passion for others. We need to rekindle a passion for others. Where do you see that? Well, let's look again at verses 15 and 16. It says there, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold 
nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, historically, we have attempted to view this scripture through the lens of our Western eyes. You see, we see everything from our frame of reference, and we are a westernized culture influenced by the Greek and Romans primarily, but there's a whole Eastern culture, and when we begin to look at things from their eyes, we might see really what the Scripture is trying to say right here. Now, I grew up in church, and so I heard a lot of sermons on the church of Laodicea, and it was always about ramping up the spiritual fervor. In fact, I've preached some sermons that way before. i got to be honest with you. And so it was always about we've got to get hot for God. We've got to be on fire for God, a great evangelistic sermon. And we say, boy, you know what? If you're lukewarm, God, you make God sick, he's going to puke you up. And, uh, and, 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 but, but there's something wrong with this kind of level of spiritual temperatures. He's not talking about degrees of fervor as we might interpret this. you got to take it in the context of whom he's writing to. And the reason it can't be degrees of fervency is because he says, I would rather you were cold or hot. And so we always took, if you were cold, you were lost and unsaved and going to hell. If you're hot, you're on fire for God. And if you're lukewarm, you're somewhere in the middle and make Jesus sick. And that kind of became the spiritual thermometer and you work your way up from cold to lukewarm to hot. That's not what the scripture is saying there because why would he say to anybody, I wish you were cold and lost and going to hell than lukewarm. Doesn't make any sense in the context. So let's take a look at this uh, Laodicean church and see where that's coming from. Several miles northwest of Laodicea, perched on top of a small mountain was a city called Hierapolis. Hierapolis. It was the, and at the base of the city was geological formations known for its steaming mineral baths. And so what was happened is people would come and they would sit in those saunas, those jacuzzis, or those mineral baths that were coming up out of the ground that was steaming hot, and it was said to bring healing. And so people came from all over to Hierapolis, just a short distance from Laodicea, and they would find healing for their bodies. And then in the opposite direction, several miles south, was the city of Colossae. We got our work, we got our book Colossians. It was written to Colossae. It was known for its cool, refreshing spring water. So out of the deep ground would come these springs that would bubble up, and they were very cold. And, and it would, for weary travelers, people would be hot. They would go to those cool springs, and they would be refreshed. And so it, it spoke of refreshing waters, those cool springs to the weary travelers. Laodicea had no springs and no real source of water in that city. So all the water they got had to be imported either from Hierapolis or Colossae. And they would build these aqueducts and the water would flow to to the city of Laodicea, this very wealthy city. But by the time the hot spring waters, the bubbling waters got to Laodicea, they would be warm, lukewarm. And by the time the cold spring water from Colossae made its way to Laodicea, those cold waters meant to bring refreshment would also be lukewarm. Let me tell you, there is nothing worse to drink than lukewarm mineral water. 
I mean, it's nasty enough, the water, to drink that. But, but, what, but, you know, I used to go to Michigan for vacation. They had deep well water, and there was no purification in those cabins. And so we'd drink that well water coming out of there. And if it was really cold, it was somewhat refreshing, and you could get over the odor because it stunk and even the taste of it. But if it was lukewarm and wasn't cold enough, man, you'd want to spit that out. So while we're up there the whole time, we're drinking bottled water out of the refrigerator because we don't want that real mineral water because it was nauseating. It made us want to spit it back out. Now listen to me. In terms of the church at Laodicea, he's saying you are to have an impact on the world. You're not fulfilling the function for which you were created. You're designed by God to bring healing or bring refreshing, and you are doing neither. You are lukewarm, so you're not fulfilling your intended purpose of making disciples and reaching out and touching a hurting world around you. You are too consumed with yourself. So are we doing what Christ has called us to do as his church? Are we being the church that's to bring refreshing to our community around us, to Somerville, to Goose Creek, to to the whole surrounding areas around us? Are we content to come here week after week and just satisfy ourselves and leave and not bring refreshing to anybody else around us? He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're, You're not doing what I created you to do. These qualities that made the water remarkable in the first place, either boiling hot or extremely cold, were lost in Laodicea. The difference in in the temperature was a critique about the usefulness of the water. Laodicea neither brought healing anymore or refreshing. Their discipleship was truly unremarkable. And as we read further, as you kind of move your way down through the text, you're going to see how self-absorbed, how narcissistic they were, how they thought they were rich, they thought they were self-sufficient, they thought they had everything they needed in this world, but they were really devoid of spiritual life, and they were not a life-giving church to the community around them anymore. They were all about themselves. They weren't fulfilling the role for which Christ saved them, and that's to be a blessing to the nations. Listen to me. When you ask Jesus Christ into your heart and life, it's got to be more than I am just saved to make it to heaven. I am here on this earth to make a difference. It's one of the things we stand for at Faith Assembly. We are here to make a difference in the world around us. And so are we doing what God created us to do, what God saved us to do? Are we fulfilling the purpose of our mission? Do we really love people? Or do we love ourselves so much we don't see anybody else? We don't see what's, what's going on around us. Do we really love others? Are we using all that God has blessed us with to be a blessing to those around us? You know, God's given us time and he's given us resources and he's given us talents and he's given us abilities. Are we just saying, I have all this, so look at how amazing I am? Or are we using God's time and talents and resources and gifts to sow back into the kingdom of God, to reach people that are lost and need Jesus and without the Lord, they will spend eternity without him? Do we really still care? We care about this world. Is it all about us? Has our prosperity put us to sleep? Are we fulfilling the great commission that says go into the world and make disciples of every nation? Are we serious about making disciples because that is what our assignment is on this earth? Are we fulfilling the great commandment that says love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? 
I think this is what was missing in Laodicea. We need to rekindle our passion for others and do what God called us to do. Let's bring refreshing. Let's bring healing. I think the second thing that jumps off the pages is we also need to replace our misguided values. And you see that in verses 17 and 18. Let's read that very quickly. You say, you say, this is their estimate of themselves, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. The church in Laodicea was was mirroring the culture of their day. The church in Laodicea looked just like the city. Affluent, prosperous, self-sufficient, I need nothing. It says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's interesting as we study these churches, we looked at Smyrna. Smyrna was a persecuted church. And we saw that the word myrrh, which is the words where Smyrna is taken from, was that the more it is crushed, the more it is ground down, the more fragrance it gives off, the more blessing it gives. It was a persecuted church, but they said about themselves, we are poor, but Jesus Christ's estimate of them is, no, you are very rich because you have the grace of Almighty God and you are being a blessing to those around you. On the other hand, the church of Laodicea is the exact opposite. They said we are rich and in need of nothing, but I say to you, you are wretched, blind, poor, and miserable and naked. Laodicea was measuring themselves by worldly standards, by worldly values, and so they are occupied then with material, earthly, or temporal success rather than spiritual success. If you are living just for the here and now, you are going to be all about having money and more things and more stuff and advancing in this life because, after all, this is all there is. But if you're kingdom-minded, everything you think of and do is related to the kingdom of God. And so I do what the Word says. I don't lay treasures up on earth earth where moth and rust doth destroy and corrupt, but I am laying my treasures up in heaven because I know my time on earth is 60, 70, 80 years, but I know kingdom-wise it is all eternity I'm thinking about. And so my values change. The moment you give your life to the Lord, there has to be a reorientation of your entire value system. It is the opposite of the world's value system. The kingdom values are the upside down kingdom. Everything changes when you come to Christ. And it's no longer just about you, it's about Jesus and others. Because that's what I'm created for. And so there was a total difference in their estimates of themselves. They were self-centered, self-occupied, self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and overconfident. And yet they thought they possessed everything. They thought they had it all. Their security was in their riches, and they forgot about God. It's interesting. The wisest man that ever lived was a man by the name of Solomon on the earth, besides Jesus, obviously. But, but for all his wisdom, he kind of went brain dead at the end. He kind of got stupid at the end and uh, had all this wisdom and knowledge that God had given him. But he writes something down very profound, and he says, he prayed that he would not forget God by reason of his poverty or his riches. He said, I don't want to be so poor that I'm always begging and forget about the goodness and grace of God. And I don't want to be so rich that I become self-sufficient that I shut God out. And and so he says, "I, I don't want to go to either one of those extremes, extreme poverty or extreme wealth. But what happens in Solomon's own life as his riches 
increased, he forgot more and more about God, and he starts marrying any lady who comes along. And you know about how many wives and concubines he had. He became totally self-absorbed with his kingdom, and he slowly began to forget about God. And by the time you get to his son, Rehoboam, he is so far away from the Lord, there leads to a split in the kingdom of God, all because Solomon didn't heed his own warning. Listen, I want to tell you, that's good, that's good advice. Because there can be this subtle creep of wealth that we become satisfied where I'm at now and we start living for today and we don't live for the kingdom. Laodicea was self-satisfied. Their mantra was, we have need of nothing, not even God himself. I want to read a verse to you. It's John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, ye can do. Let's try it one more time. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zippo. We can't do one thing without Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can fulfill our lives, that vacuum inside of us. He is the only one that can save us from our sins, that can save us from ourselves. I need Jesus Christ, and I need him every day. We need the Lord. Without me, without me, you can do nothing. It is only in Christ that we have anything and can be what we are called to be. Now, they thought we are rich, we have wealth, and we have need of nothing. Here's what he said about them. He said, you are wretched. In other words, that word wretched in the Greek language literally means to be oppressed with a problem or burden. The thing they thought was their relief was their wealth. Their wealth had actually became a burden to them because it caused them to move further away from the Lord. You are really, really wretched. And he says, you are really, really miserable. He says, you think you've got everything you will ever need, but you are miserable. That literal word means in need of pity. The one thing you need now is pity because of the condition you are in. Very hard words and deeds. And he said, you think you are rich, but you are really poor. The word he uses there in the Greek language for poor is the poorest kind of poverty you can find. It's the, it's the person who sits and begs. You are really a beggar. And then he says, you are really blind. Now, now listen to me. Nothing else can satisfy like Jesus Christ. I, I think sometimes we pick up the newspaper. We read about some rich person or some very famous person who commits suicide. And I think sometimes in, in the natural, the first reaction is, why would they kill themselves? They got millions of dollars in the bank. An amazing house, wonderful cars, all kinds of adoration from their fans. And we think, why did so-and-so kill them? I, I think recently of Robin Williams. He made me, he was funny, he was hilarious. And, and it was so funny and hilarious and yet inside very, very depressed and very lonely. And it's the side that his public didn't see. And uh, who's the one? Jeannie told me about somebody died last. Uh, 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 Kate Spades. I never heard of this lady because I'm not into designing. But she was a fashion designer. And she had millions and millions of dollars. And she kills herself. And then Anthony Bourdain, this famous chef 
who had all kinds of wealth and all kinds of money and all kinds of fame and his own TV program and all this. I think these are just some of the more recent suicides in the month of June. And we're kind of blown away from this and we say, why? Listen, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you can have all the money and all the stuff and all the things in this world. It will never, ever satisfy. We were made with this God-shaped vacuum that until I say, God, I need you, God, come into my life, God, be my Lord and Savior, I am called to that higher purpose for which you created me, you, there will always be something missing deep on the inside. And so whether a person is very poor, or whether a person is very wealthy, or somewhere in between, and they can struggle with depression and pain and anxiety and wind up taking their own life. And I want to tell you, the only, the only thing that we need is Jesus. Jesus. Self-sufficiency. And then he's last, he says, you are blind they were blind because they saw only in the natural. And the word of God says, until we receive Jesus Christ, our spiritual eyes are closed. He says, we are blinded by the prince and power of the air, but then I come in and he brings life and he opens up our eyes with that. And I think there's a short-sightedness with people without the Lord Jesus Christ because they only see the here and now. They only see tomorrow. They only live for today. They don't see beyond that and they don't see an eternity. And he says, you are blind. It often seems financial prosperity can have an adverse effect on one's relationship with God. Now listen to me. This is not an anti-God-blessing message because I will tell you, God does bless. And, and, and there are very, very wealthy believers, wealthy sons and daughters of God who use their resources to sow back into the kingdom of God and God keeps on blessing them and they become a channel for God's amazing blessings to advance the kingdom of God. So, but, but, but there can be a subtle danger that if we are not careful, we can depend on our material possessions and forget about the Lord. And I think that's the trap that the Laodiceans fell into. Uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He uses some language that is so colorful. He says, I am obligated in the NIV. The King James puts it this way, I am a debtor. Kind of a more uh, harder word. I am a debtor both to the Greek and the non-Greek, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now listen to me. A debtor is someone who owes somebody something. If you're a debtor, you're obligated to somebody else. You owe them something. Paul says about himself, I am a debtor. Though having all things in Christ Jesus, he is still a debtor to everyone else around them because he had experienced the marvelous grace of God in his life. He says, how can I but not help tell my Jewish friend and my Gentile friends and those who are wise and those who are uneducated, how can I not be a debtor to them to tell them about the love and goodness and grace of Jesus? God blesses us over and over again. That makes us a debtor to everybody else around us. It's not so we have this entitlement philosophy that I give me more, give me more, give me more. And what happens is we begin to think in our mindset that God owes me something. Listen, God has given you already everything you need for life and godliness. God gave you everything you need for your sins to be taken away and given you a brand new life in Christ Jesus. But we are in, entitled because I'm a believer, never gonna have a trial, never gonna have a test, gonna have all this wonderful, good, wonderful, great stuff in my life because I am a child of the king. And, and, and Paul doesn't look at it that way. He says, I'm a debtor. Christ saved me to be a blessing. 
We've got to get out of ourselves and begin to think about others through whom Christ loves. That's why the church is here. That's why faith church is here. Mm. The attitude that pleases God is I have nothing coming to me. I am deeply in debt and I will spend the rest of my life not trying to get, but trying to give. Jesus said it this way, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God in money. Use the word mammon in the language, but it's, it's, it's really money. You can't serve God in stuff. See, so either you'll, you'll love the one and hate the other, you'll love, and you'll hate the one and love the other. He says, eventually there's gonna be this, this drift when you have two loves going on. I can't love Jeannie and another woman at the same time. There, there's, there, there would be a drift that you can't share that same kind of oneness love with two people. And so it is with Jesus Christ. You can't love God and love this world. They are mutually exclusive. He said, you'll, you'll, and you'll, you'll hate the one and love the other. And so, you, and so the solution, by gold refined by fire. Not the world's gold, by the gold that I have. Now refined by fire, interesting picture language here. The more they heated up the gold, the more pure the gold became. And so he says, I've got gold for you. It's been tried in the fire. It's the best kind of gold you can have. It's not gold that perishes. It's not gold that you spend and gone. It's gold that you will have for all eternity. It's the gold of God's grace. And I have gold for you. And then he uses the language uh, tried by fire. We think of terms of fire. Many times it's used in scripture to refer refer to trials and testing. And so if, if needs be, we need to let the trials and tests come our way, maybe to get us off of ourselves and turn us back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, get the gold, even if it's fire, even if it's persecution, even if it's trials, even if it's his test, it's better, it's better to be drawn back to God than, than away from him because of our self-sufficiency and our greed and our selfishness. He says in Hebrews 12, that every son he loves, he chastens. So that in the end, it might yield, yield a peaceable fruit of righteousness and joy and peace. And so that's what he said in this same letter to, to Laodicea. He says, I'm telling you this, verse 19, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. And so sometimes he allows that discipline to come in our lives to force us back to him. Why? Because he loves us. And then he says, I got white garments for you. Get your white garments for me. I, I, I said Laodicea was a church known for its black wool. Now there's nothing that stands out against the blackness of the wool all around than white garments. Listen, when you go to your school, you may be the only one in white garments. Everyone will know you're a child of God because your speech is different, your actions different, your values are different, your lifestyle's different. Everything about you is different, and I will tell you, you will stand out, and they may call you a holy roller, they may call you uh, any kind of name on the face of the earth, but it's okay. He says, get those white garments of righteous character from me and live that out in your life, even in the midst of the blackness of the wool all around you. And then he says, buy salve for your eyes. Buy that eye salve so you can see. I said Laodicea was known for its amazing medical clinics, but they could not get 
eye, their spiritual eyes opened up. Only the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ, can do that. And he says, when you come to me, I'll open your spiritual eyes and your spiritual understanding. And so we've got to replace our values. There's a, there's a change of values when I come into the kingdom of God. So I need to love others. And then my value system, I need to reevaluate that in light of the kingdom. And the third thing he says is to renew fellowship with the Lord. And you have this picture of him in, in verses 19 to 21. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now listen to me. Every church that he wrote to, he has something good to say about that church. Even Thyatira, even Pergamon, even Ephesus, even those dysfunctional, even Sardis, he had a good little word to say to them. But the one church there's no commendation for at all is Laodicea. This comes across almost as the harshest letter, although it is all done in love. No word of commendation. But you have this sense that he's trying to pull the church back and he's knocking for their attention and he's knocking at the door and he's knocking for a relationship and he's knocking for fellowship. He says, if you'll just open the door and let me in, then I will come in and I will sup with you and you with me and we will dine together and we will have fellowship and I can restore the purpose for which you were made and which you were created. In spite of their rebellion, Jesus still loved them. And I've got good news today. He loves every single one of you. And he's knocking this morning and his Holy Spirit is still knocking today. He says, be earnest and repent. Earnest has the idea of get rid of the facade, get rid of the externals, get rid of your dependency on earthly things and repent of where you're at and turn to me. In verse 20, he says, here I am. I'm right here. Here, it's here today. I am available, I am truth, and I am love, and I am the ruler of all creation, and I am the amen, and I am available for you. Here I am. Here the amen is. Here the one who is true is. Here the one who is faithful is. Here is the one who is ruler. He is right here. But I will tell you, Christ will not force himself in. You ever watch those cop movies when they kick the door down, you know, or they get that battering ram and they stand back, stand back, stand back, and they bam, ram the door down. Jesus won't do that. It's the one thing that he allows us to have this kind of will or free choice in, whether to receive Jesus Christ or to reject him. He won't make anybody follow him. Won't make anybody get saved. He knocks. But whosoever, and I'm a whosoever, not just the Laodiceans, whosoever, anyone who opens the door, I will come in. And then he says, and I will sup with him. And the word there for sup has to do with an extended meal. It was like a feast. It was like a banquet. And you have the imagery in the New Testament times where they lay around the tables and they would eat for hours and fellowship and talk and share together. It wasn't come in for an appetizer. Listen, there is a full plate of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. And we will feast on that for all eternity. And we'll never get tired of experiencing his love and mercy and grace even though he has a harsh rebuke for the selfish Laodiceans, he still has an intense love and longing for them. And that's the same way he is today. He is reaching, reaching. He will do whatever it takes to find you, to rescue you, to save you, to, to bring you here this morning. He brought you here this morning. 
You didn't think about even maybe going to church when you got up, but sometimes I gotta go to faith church. He has you here now. He's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking through the Holy Spirit this morning. Through his word. Let's open up. Verse 21. To him who overcomes, to him who rises above, I will grant with him to sit on my throne. You see, when we eat with him in fellowship, we will rule with him for all eternity. We share in rulership in the kingdom of Almighty God when we let him in, when we open up our heart to him, to his grace, to his fellowship. We'll rule with him for all eternity. Listen, maybe this morning he is outside of your heart's door today, but he's near and he's knocking and he's offering salvation. He says, here I am, here I am. Have you repented? Is Christ the Lord of your life? If not, you can say, Jesus, I need you. Come in and save me today. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.